Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome to Midweek Motorsport Series 16, episode 38, just after 8 o'clock here in the UK and we are live once, oh hang on, I uh, better get some footy results or something up shouldn't I, just to prove that we are indeed like, there are still people, believe it or not, who don't think uh, we are live and this is all recorded. Uh, well, most it's, of it uh, is. <laughs> I re- I re- Hello? I'm alive. Barely. Oh. Barely. I'm uh, actually. Say again? I'm better than last week. You were much better than that. You sounded awful last I week. I was awful last week. Uh, very very much like the nil. audience. So much better than last week. Absolutely. Champions League, 1-0 and 4-0. Uh, championship games have kicked off. There's a uh, couple of 1-0s in there. But Peterborough are still nil-nil with AFC Bournemouth. That's important because my fish gets cooked better if Peterborough win. Because uh, Terry down at Ben's Chippy is uh, a big Peterborough United supporter. Uh, and in Will- Women's FA Cup, it's still nil-nil. Uh, and in Scotland, it's one-nil. And uh, I don't think I'm giving much away at the moment to say that in the Lowland League, it's still Gretna 2008-nil. That wasn't the score. Gretna 2008 would have been very impressive. East Kilbride nil as well. As well. And in the, in the Elite League in Norway, it's nil-nil as well. And in fact, that's a full time uh, between uh, Stebach and Stromgesset. Sorry if you were waiting for the... Uh, Nick's giving me a very bad look there because nah, he was clearly... Spoilers weird. is bad. You can't read... That. It's fine. Abstract and the scores are fine. Once you say the teams are... A whole lot of disappointment in Norway, waiting mm. for match of the day Norway style. And when you said Elite League, I thought you were going to talk about some Speedway. Oh, uh, I do like a bit of Speedway. I've been watching a lot of Speedway lately. Have you? British Speedway. Yeah, no one knows you are. You just do, you know, you, you kind of get hopping over the fence at Ipswich Witches, which is hard to say fast. Or Peterborough. Wolves. <laughs> Pirates. Sorry. <laughs> Wolverhampton Wolves. That'll be the one. Peterborough Pirates. Oh. Peterborough's. Inland, how could they possibly have pirates? Well, they've got to have somewhere to hide that treasure, don't they? That's about to say that is the perfect cover. Where's the last place you expect to find pirates? Exactly. Peterborough. I walked into a restaurant the other night that says behind this door are pirates with knives and fire. And were they? 
I don't know. I didn't go through the door. That scared me. The you know. no. They're in Peterborough. Ah, very good point. Uh, and probably running a call centre. And on, on a packed show tonight, Tim, we have what? Uh, we have some of the usual features. We don't have all of them. We don't have Shay Adam. Mm-hmm. We don't have news in Spanish. And we don't have a pointless press release of the week. Shay is in the air tonight. I can feel it. Mm. Stop. Stop. Right there. I've finished it out just in time. Um, we do have a big interview. We and do we'll have a big talk- interview. We will be talking about a, a novel called Deadly Driver um, in just after nine o'clock, actually, tonight. So in about an, an hour's time, just under an hour's time, um, with J.K. Kelly. Very interesting. Um, worth worth listening to uh, that. Uh, it, it's a thriller that is based around Formula One. And for the, <laughs> we did have a tweet earlier on when I put that out that says thriller and Formula One. In 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 one tweet, uh, I did point out it was fictional. Honestly, you only have to go back as far as Sunday for a thriller. I did doors off. In fairness, I did go to the supermarket while it was on. Well, you're foolish. <laughs> no, I got me got me fuel. Pun- I got me fuel. You got fuel? Yes, I got fuel. So you weren't foolish then? No, I wasn't foolish. I was fueled up. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, and your tweets tonight, I'd spec entertainment. Uh, hello to, uh, it was uh, Machiavelli, by the way, who said Thriller and F1 in the same sentence. Surely, show me stank. Dave Olcock, looking forward to listening in tonight. Doug Amner um, wants to know if RC Racing is going to be ranting about the radio calls in F3. Um, we'll talk about that. I can exclusively reveal I won't be ranting about it. No, but we will be talking uh, about it. Kevin Payne. Second consecutive AFAs for Kev tonight because he's a farewell party to attend. As long as it's not yours and you're on the way out. Uh, hello to Lance Schneider, to Andrew Muggeridge, uh, who is listening in tonight. He said, Sainsbury's, you not put high-octane fuel in your cars, John. Yes, they sell super. Our local Sainsbury's has one, two, three, four. That's six super pumps, which is why I've been... At Able to fill all three cars, two of which need need super. If without you start any telling problems. everyone you've got a full tank of fuel in all your cars, well, I won't be responsible for what happens this evening when a selection of people come around with big siphoning pumps from you. I would point out They're that not all uh, parked here. T- today in the West Midlands, 16 cars were stolen while uh, their owners were paying for the fuel that they'd just put in them. Excellent. Those people need it's to be... A, it's an ill wind, isn't it? Yeah, well, yes. Apparently, apparently someone sold 30,000 litres of diesel as well, which isn't the work of a moment. So I wonder how they, they did that. Uh, right Turn Lover says, to be able to honour tomorrow's International Podcast Day, I'll not be tuning in tonight. So spending the evening with your mum then, RTL. But that's fine, because we absolutely understand that. Hello to Dave Monks, who's tuned in tonight in Germany, having uh, doing all the work on the new... Spectre Ghost, nothing to do with James Bond and everything to do with EV. I'm very excited about that, actually. Uh, uh, Blurfiend is listening in, replacing a 981 Cayman headlining during the show tonight. Says happy for Hamilton, sad for Lando. Um, 981 headliner needs replacing. It's a good job I was a boxer. 
Yoda's uncle says, can somebody please confirm today's date? Have I missed Halloween and my birthday? Um, those across the road have got their Christmas lights turned on, having not taken them down from last year. No, it, it is, in fact, the 29th of September. Uncle's, uh, Yoda's uncle there. Uh, Rudolph Pocket says, confusing um, where and if and what and where. Oh, uh, hello. Uh, good to have your company. Uh, hello to Doug Amner. Uh, no EFAs, but a belated uh, EFAs from a couple of weeks ago. Not really been too clever. Well, I'm pleased to hear you feeling well. Neil Gardner is finishing up the... Uh, axis of oversteer, the baby Bertha uh, sketch that he's doing at the moment. Hi, Neil. Um, that's uh, Neil NG NG Auto Art. If you want to see what Neil's capable of, it's absolutely superb. Ian McCarthy uh, jumping on the archives first thing in the morning, and uh, we'll be having Alexandra Gibbot soon talking about uh, the. Their announcement earlier on today. Spoke to Alexandra just as that was coming out. That'll be in one of our news stories as part of our Cayman. Visit Cayman Islands sports car news. Uh, Alex Orton just dropping Freya's car off with her at university. Now time for supper, a glass of wine and a large dose of midweek motorsport. I think the former two are better than the latter one, if I'm honest. Uh, Kevin Glass listening live, processing the emotions after racing at Circuit Mont-Tremblant yeah, at the weekend. Mm. Get in. in. Now, what is that that you were racing? Let's have a quick look. Uh, that looks like a Honda. Well done. Coming home third in GTE, battling with Porsche 944s. Magnificent stuff. I need to know more about that. Chris Suku. Warm bacon salad, some tasty samosas. Tuning in for the show. Dave Alcock uh, listening in tonight. And James O'Donnell also listening in. Uh, All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Japanese coffee whiskey for James O'Donnell this evening. I like the sound of that. I very like the sound of that. Axe Speculatement, if you'd like to get in touch. Uh, shuffling papers in the background, Tim Greer. Here's the top story. Before that, I've got a question. Is it whiskey yes. made from Japanese coffee, or is it whiskey made in Japan from coffee? I think it's probably neither of those things, in fairness. I think it's flavoured. <laughs> or it could be both. And both. Neither and both. Wax on wax off there's only one place to start tonight and that's with IndyCar Her- oh no <laughs> <laughs> oh Alex. Nick's had a, pr- a, pr- a, a premature, premature exclamation yes <laughs> exclamation very good Tim very good very good it's his age you know I know actually not my age that's not, that's not the issue with age mate is it not no 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 no. <laughs> John would know that's He's the reverse issue with age more the chance of being a fine thing issue. Um, okay. Do you want me to stick your plug in, Lord? Go on, love, yeah. That's what, that's what's going on now. It's going, down, it's going down rapidly, I'm surprised. <laughs> you won't be able to do that soon because EU's telling you we've all got to have the same USB-C plugs. That's for phones. Mm. You don't think it'll stop there, don't you? That's well, the EU, isn't it? Yeah, but can't you believe... Well, they'll carry on saying the wrong ones here, they won't they? Mm. Well, there you go. I don't want none of those efficient plugs. Right, anyway, moving on. 
Alex Pello clinched his first NTT IndyCar Series Championship with a composed drive to fourth place on Sunday in the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. Uh, Palo becomes the first Spaniard to win an IndyCar Series Championship and is Chip Ganassi Racing's second consecutive title winner. This is his first season with the powerhouse team and the number 10 NTT data Chip Ganassi Racing Honda. He joined uh, Chip Ganassi Racing after his rookie season in 2020 when he finished 16th. I had to double check that there. Uh, 16th in the standings. Let's hear from him. What a season, what a season. I, I cannot really believe it. I'm super happy. Um, we worked so, so hard. Like, um, getting into the season finale, like, um, this, this place didn't know the track. Um, but the, the guys gave me a, a really good car. They gave me good strategies. And today we went from P10 to P4, right? So um, just amazing, super happy. I think all the season we, we were super consistent and um, it feels amazing to be a champion. I want to do it again now. I, I don't think I'm. Um, I realize what what we just did, but um, I'm I'm just super happy that uh, my dad is able to, to see it and and to celebrate with me. Hopefully, I can get him to party tonight. Um, <laughs> I think he I think he can. He's young, so um, then my girlfriend is also here, big part of uh, of me being here. And yeah, shame that uh, not all my family can be here, but I'm sure we'll celebrate once I'm there. And yeah, super proud to be the first Spanish guy to to win it. I hope I'm not the the last one. And and I'm sure uh, we'll try and fight for a lot more uh, Astro Cups uh, on the future. I said it at the beginning and after the first race, like there was no expectations. There were goals. Um, the goal that uh, Chip told me was to win the championship. So it was a small goal to start. Um, <laughs> he he says he likes winners. If you're not a winner, yeah, you're in trouble. But uh, that's what pushes uh, the team. It's not a bad pressure. It's a good pressure. He... He does everything he can to, to make the team successful. He just lives for the team and he takes care of all of us. So uh, he gives us the opportunity to be here today. Alex Palo talking about Chip Ganassi, who has his 14th IndyCar title. Yeah, I think the first test was down in Birmingham. And uh, we went down there and all four cars were there. And, you know, he ended up quickest. And we were like, geez, you know. And, uh, but we were trying a lot of things. You never really know on a, day, a test, a particular day, you know, time of the day, the tires, whatever. You know, you always find some rationalization for, for why a guy was fast or wasn't fast. So we kind of just took it with a grain of salt, I would think. And then, uh, and then of course, we show up for the race. He was fastest in practice. We said, okay, great, you know, that's nice. But, you know, we have qualifying, <laughs> a race, and plenty of plenty of talent around the paddock and um and then he was of course fastest in qualifying and then won the race and was you know he had will will power and uh, dixon breathing down his neck the whole day and uh so it was you know he he showed there that he could he could stand the pressure he could win and uh you know he didn't put a wheel wrong all day so you sort of build on that and uh you know you go from there but uh, yeah, early on the season, we, we you know we, do, we you know you just don't know if a young guy like that has the you know has staying power all season or does he get tired in you know June or July or something you know um, it's 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 I've always said that that you know driving Indy cars is 
is, you know, the, the actual driving part is not hard. The, the, the travel's not too hard. The testing's not bad. The, you know, the sponsorship work around our team's not hard. But for some reason, when you put it all together, it's hard. And uh, so, uh, you know, but he was, he was able to put all that together and uh, still have more in his tank. His, um, his apprentice program into racing most recently was in Japan. So I think he brings a lot of that, uh, that type of uh, Japanese mentality to the team, which, which you know, a lot of us find refreshing, obviously being a Honda team and being with them for many years and many wins. Uh, he brought a, a certain uh, fortitude, I would say, that you know that uh, that you see in that type of uh, that part of the world. So um, I think that with you know he's got some good management around him with a guy you know some of you know. I mean we 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 were just approached by a really a, a friend of our team and a friend of his, um, a guy named Roger Yasakawa and. He said, "You guys ought to take a look at this kid," and uh, we said, "Sure, you know, arrange a meeting or something." So that was really the how it got started. Chip Ganassi there, John. I want to talk about the uh, the Japan thing because uh, my theory is that IndyCar is basically Super Formula, but in America. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a reasonable uh, that's a reasonable assumption. Um, they it's the same car essentially. Uh, half uh, the music is it? Yeah, it's Delara. Okay, uh, but they I mean, use you could engines. say that. Uh, well, I mean, half of them don't use different engines. Half of them are well, the Hondas. Still using Hondas. Yeah, all right. Um, yeah. They have refueling, which is rare in junior single-seater championships. Mm-hmm. It's not a junior single-seater championship. Well, though, super is it? It, isn't it is. It? Yeah, but but IndyCar isn't. IndyCar no. in the last few years has become has got back to where it was before the split or very close to it and it's become an international formula again. Um, I, I think the, a couple of the things that are very interesting about IndyCar is the the mix of drivers, who's going there, who's deciding to go there and where in their career um, and some drivers going there much earlier in their career and this youth movement that they have in IndyCar now I think says an awful lot about the state of IndyCar. Now, you can say, and I'm sure some people will, that because there's been a rather bit of a backing up in European formulas and a formulae and it's more difficult to get in, that that's had a, a, an impact as well. And, and that is probably true. Mm-hmm. But, Nick, there are opportunities for people to go and race in IndyCar where either they are not paying as much as they would be doing an F2 season or better still they're getting paid for it and they're having a lot of fun out there. Well, yeah, it's... it's, it's I've been speaking about this before about you know, uh, the ridiculous dilution of value um, within the Formula 1 world is preventing new teams coming on board. We should have a 12-team system which means we have 24 cars. And it's pretty reasonable to think of all those four extra seats three of them we would be at least would be with, with, with young drivers the fact is that with careers lasting longer and longer and longer you're looking at an average turnover of at most three drivers and probably the average is probably about two two and a half if you think about a seven-year career which most of them have 
when you come out of all the various other formulas, there's nearly more more than two people who are good enough to to mm. make the jump. And as we all know, it's very rare that that ends up being a meritocracy. Sometimes it does. Some of the best ones go up, and you know, we've had a good crop of very good youngsters. But there's a there's this whole raft of people who who are very similar on paper, but one or other may have spiked up where they're going to go. Well, obviously, there's a the nice opening in sports cars coming up, which is something they're going for with. Um, and then the other place, and if you see, saw what happened when Christian Lundgaard went out there um, this year and did very well in one race, we've now had signed up with Callum Ilox now signed up for a whole year because they've realised F1's not happening. Mm. I've got a bit of budget, or I can get it for free, which is possible. They may well be doing the whole thing for nothing either way. And then the teams are going, well, this is quite a good chance. This guy's quick as one F2 races. We know there's a great, let's be honest, really honest about this. Yes, there are nuances. There's a lot more of a similarity between an F2 car and an Indy car than an F2 car and an F1 car. Much more transferable. I, honestly, I realise there's a huge number of subtleties with an IndyCar, but and particularly with the circuits. Yes, yeah, but it's one make. It's it's much more about the circuits and the setup. It's one make, non-hybrid. Mm. It's a it's a it's a conventional racing car. Yes, you know the, the tyres are difficult, the rules are difficult, especially from the Europe. Tracks the tracks are all over the place. Yes, but I think actually if you've done... If you, Particularly with the buffs. I think if you've done a junior's, junior's uh, run through, think about people who run race in, in the UK, it's not exactly the fattest circuit, is it? You know, so. But you don't have to worry about that because the team will sort that yeah. for you. So, I mean, I think it's, it's quite a logical thing. If you want, if you want to go, if you want to carry on racing single-seaters, um, where else are you going to go? If you want to go, the other option is to, to, come, to go team racing and endurance racing. Uh, Tim, the youth movement. It's become only recently become uh possible for these young drivers to uh, and is only currently possible for these young drivers to keep flooding into IndyCar because for quite a long time they've had a lot of drivers who've been sticking around for very very many years true if you yes, look that at is the true. number of drivers with at least 10 seasons of IndyCar experience you have Charlie Kimball Ron Hunter Ray, James Hinchcliffe, uh, Marco Andretti obviously has only done one race, but he's one of the ones who's cleared out to create a gap. Scott Dixon, Tony Kanaan, another one who's uh, leaving, um, creating a gap. Ed Carpenter, Helio Castro Neves. Back. Uh, come back. He's come back, don't forget. He has he's come back. He's going to do a full season next Will year. Will Power. So that kind, of, that kind of books the trend a little bit. Will I don't Power, disagree 12, with what you're saying. 12 seasons. And Simon Pagano, 11 seasons. Mm. No, no. Uh, abso- you, you're right. You're right. There's been an increase of how many cars have been running IndyCar as well, though, with, with some of the big teams taking on more cars, and even some of the small teams. Plus, we've had new teams coming in, like MSR. Yeah. Um, it, it's all down to how many engines the engine suppliers can produce and and, and we're still talking about suppliers, that is well and we're still talking factor. about yes and we're still talking about aren't we everybody's still talking about a third engine supplier and and you know that is as um what's the word i am looking for when when you say something because you want to believe it's true um you know that that is as um Inflammatory? No, that's not the word I'm looking for. Self-fulfilling prophecy? Yeah, you know, is that going to bring somebody in? You know, it it is. It does seem to me. Yes, of course, IndyCar needs a third engine manufacturer. But talking about it, um, in this case, unlike 
petrol crises when there was only ever five petrol stations that were in trouble. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't actually make it so. But that said, what it, whatever else we think about is IndyCar is in a good place. Mm-hmm. IndyCar is yep. in a good place. And one thing I will say about the weekend, Tim, as well, not to um, jump ahead to anything you might want to say. It seems to me as though having the finale at uh, on the streets at Long Beach for the Acura Grand Prix in the NTT IndyCar Championship was quite a big was quite a big hit with the team's drivers and the fans. They had they've had good numbers this year in terms of people watching it. Um, there has been a battle for the championship. It's been new people. It's been younger people. Um, Jim McCallion has been quoted as saying that they'd be happy to do it twice next year and have Long Beach in its normal time and then do the finale. Now, what the good burgers of Long Beach and its environs might think of that, I don't know, but Nick? It sounds a bit expensive to me, closing down Long Beach twice. very expensive to me. And actually, I don't think Long Beach produced a race that was worthy of a season finale. I'd uh, swap it and Laguna Seca around so that Long Beach was the penultimate race and Laguna Seca held a season finale. Laguna's been the season finale before. Sonoma's been the season finale before. And sometimes road courses don't actually get it done for IndyCar. No, sometimes street uh, courses don't either. Uh, Scott McLaughlin, Clinchy Rookie There's the, the Jeopardy, award. though. Sorry, Nick, but, uh, Nick, Nick and Tim, sorry. But there's the Jeopardy of a street course. Because if you hit the wall, even early in the week, you're on the back foot. But if you're one of two title contenders and you're driven into early on, then that decides a title and you've still got to watch 68 laps of uh, not brilliant racing on a track where you can't really overtake. I don't get driven into then. Don't put yourself in that situation. Uh, It's been said to me many times. On track though. days, particularly. It's wrong, though. Well, I'm, I'm not sure it is. Uh, you've, you've got to be... Uh, it, it, it's about the jeopardy, though. And if the jeopardy goes on lap one or lap 61 of 62, it doesn't matter, well, of course, does it? it, it yeah, we, we had a similar problem with Formula E where the jeopardy collapsed in three laps because the cars kept breaking down. That's a bit different, though, isn't it? It's is very that, similar. Is that, is that their fault or is it bad luck? Because you know, mm. it was both of them with unique faults that had never been seen before. Anyway, moving anyway, on. Anyway, <laughs> Scott McLaughlin clinched the Rookie of the Year award after finishing 11th in the number three PPG Team Penske Chevrolet, becoming the first Team Penske driver to earn this honour. Uh, McLaughlin joined Penske's IndyCar Series team after winning three consecutive Australian supercar titles for the organisation. Yeah, I think um, you get one shot to win this, and, and you know it's a proud moment regardless um, to win it. Although, you know, you sort of... My ultimate goal was potentially, you know, top 12, you know, top 10 in the championship. You always strive for more, but to win the Rookie of the Year, I'm not, you know, it'll sit with me for forever and no one can ever take it away from me. So that's a proud moment. But um, today, uh, we took a little bit of a punt, you know, just with the, the strategy at the start, you know, um, staying out. We would have worked out if there wasn't another quick yellow, and unfortunately it was, and we, we pitted, obviously, and it put us back to sort of 22, 23. And then um, after that, it was all just about trying to make the most of um, what we had and we moved our way forward all the way to 11th so you know overall I felt like you know towards the end of the season since probably St. Louis potentially before that you know I've felt like I've had a really good stranglehold on the car I've come in leaps and bounds in terms of my confidence with the car and you know it really sets me out well for 2022 I feel really excited 
Um, qualifying's still my, you know, Achilles heel right now, just with the different compounds and stuff, and just getting used to that um, tire-wise. But you know, it's I'm, I'm happy. I think I've had a, a, a year that you know has had its ups and downs. I've underperformed. I've overperformed. I've had a podium. I've been close to uh, you know having some semi-good results at Indy 500 and competed in my first Indy 500 and I've really enjoyed it and um, you know I'm very proud of this year because you know it could have gone one or two two ways um, it's been a big big challenge for me and my wife to come back across here and basically order a couch and took four weeks to get a couch and then you're sitting on beanbags for a while but then you're testing and doing a lot of different things but you know there's been a lot of things on often often on the track and just really proud to get through it and, and with some success on the end of it. Colton Herter won the race. Uh, he did indeed in in absolutely dominating form as he had been all week. Um, Phil Linderman, Phil from Cleveland, that is, just got back from crewing for an SCCA team at Indy. Phil, thanks for joining us tonight here on Midweek Motorsport. Alan Prosser's got the Man United man match on, but with the comms of Midweek Motorsport... I don't think we can link that together. Uh, Paul Parkin has apologies for absence. Uh, his fiance's sister over from Poland. So they're spending time together. Excellent. That's exactly right. Um, it's pool pirates, says James O'Donnell. See, I I knew that. So who, what is it, Peterborough then? Oh, Panthers. Hang on, there's no Panthers in Peterborough either. <laughs> They're more likely than pirates. Though, In fairness, yes, Paul is. You know, Paul is obviously a little bit more coastal. Let's be honest about this. However, you know, if I was going to be a pirate, I'd be somewhere more coastal, like Yeah. I notice I didn't say anything when you said the pirates. I just let you get on with it. Uh, hello to Dave Alcock who says only three minutes to our 80s music reference Phil Collins in the air tonight I can see a black Ferrari 365 GTB4 racing across Miami with Crockett's and Tubbs inside and somebody has asked um, which one of us is wearing the espadrilles <laughs> I think that has to be you Nick doesn't it uh, well, second hand clothes I know I'm wearing espadrilles hmm? I just I, I, do you know what I don't want to I will not wear on my feet is flip flops slash thongs no, I think they're blue and awful Never, 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 never. Uh, James O'Donnell, uh, hello. Good to know that you're listening in tonight. I am trying to get the 80s music references in in the first 10 minutes, by the way. Um, Alan Prosser, I'm not going to rate that one out about blue tablets. <laughs> and Nick, it's very funny. I don't know what you're talking about. Why, why, why would I want a vitamin tablet? I, I yes. Don't know. What, smarty? Oh. Blue Smarties? No, I don't, I, I, I'm never a big fan of Blue Smarties, first. Really? They're not originals. Very good point, Tim. Well made. Interloping it's, Smarties. It's we don't like need them. Yellow penguins. They shouldn't be what? there. Hmm. Yellow penguins? Biscuit penguins. Do you remember? Oh, okay. In, in the not old days, penguins. penguins were red or blue or green, and then suddenly they introduced yellow ones. Yes, but... They but shouldn't the, be there. They don't belong. The They're like blue the, smarties. The, the packaging never reflected what was underneath. All the penguins underneath were the same. All right, okay. We've talked about penguins and pirates. What links them? Uh, ice hockey. Batman. Pittsburgh. Yes. Pittsburgh. Very good. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Ella Filippone says, I don't think it's just the young drivers. Groshan and Ericsson, among others, have shown their worth this year. Genuinely appear to be enjoying their time in IndyCar. Groshan, in, in particular, has had an... Sorry, Grosjean, 
that Romain Grosjean has had an exceptional debut and it has uh, won debut season has won a lot of fans over. Um, yeah, I, I agree with all of that. The best roadcast for the IndyCar season finale would be Cota, but that's probably not going to happen, says Matthew Houndman. Uh, and you can keep tweeting in at Spectatement. Before we move on from anything else, let's have another IndyCar story. Uh, Nick, first of all, why are Kings Lynn called the Stars? Oh, I don't know. Is that because they have produced two Formula One drivers? Yeah, is it maybe. something to do? Is it something to do with the observatory at Kings Lynn? Is there an observatory at Kings Lynn? There's bound to be. Oh. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought so. I, I think. love that. Just say anything confident. Oh, well, yes, you say, oh, you say it really confidently. Yes, it must be true. Yes, there's an observatory. Yes, at Kingsley. There we are, yeah. I should have just said that, shouldn't I? It's how I work with. It's how I work with University Challenge when I answer all the really tough questions on University Challenge because it's either a the only one of the thing that I've ever heard about, yep, or excellent. I try to make some kind of connection. Hmm. There you go. Moving on. Uh, there are rumours that IndyCar could abandon Belle Isle as the venue for the Detroit oh, round like of the Isle. championship well, I like and run a street well. race in downtown Detroit instead. And now that would also have a knock-on effect for the WeatherTech Sport, WeatherTech Sports Car Championship race, given the shared date and infrastructure. And that brings us nicely into our Visit Cayman Islands uh, sports car news. Just before, well, actually, as part of that. Already, there's only going to be a single race on Belle Isle next year, according yes. to the calendar. It's not a double header, which already adds issue for everybody because the infrastructure costs change, don't they? Because if it's two thirds and a third from IndyCar to WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and it goes to 50 50, that's a big difference, I would suggest. It might mean that they can change how many days. The event is, um, because IMSA are out by Saturday night normally, but what are you going to do? Are you going to still race IMSA on the Saturday, or are you going to race move IMSA to the Sunday? Because then there's a problem with Le Mans. Move IndyCar um, to the Sunday. Move, well, Sorry, move to IndyCar the Saturday. To, so oh, yeah, so, lose the Sunday IndyCar race and keep the Saturday one. Yes, exactly. So that's my point. So what do you, so what do, you do? How do you move the schedule around because traditionally that is held on the weekend that is Le Mans test day yeah. now it hasn't been for various reasons it will be next stance, year but it, it probably currently. will be next year yes yeah currently uh, anyway downtown Detroit w- yes, what excellent. are we thinking for circuit well there's one they used to have one there sounds a bit dangerous no they used to have one there uh, these, this is my the idea. Oh, the F1 one, one. The F1 one, sir. And IndyCar, yeah. I know this doesn't... Oh, maybe um, not IndyCar, but... No, this doesn't really work on the radio, but that's my idea for a uh, downtown Detroit circuit. Uh, oh, that's interesting. That's very interesting. It still needs to be on the riverfront, though, Tim, which that partially is, which is nice. I mean, downtown Detroit is not really on the riverfront, is it? Well, There's a lot of well, tall yeah. buildings along the riverfront in downtown. If you're in front and of the Grand Plaza, and there's a tunnel Plaza, that takes you to Canada. If you be yes, which goes south, bizarrely. Um, if if you if you're in front of the Crown Plaza, you'd be fine, and the Exhibition Centre, um, which is where it used to be, of course. I I reckon it might work. I reckon it might work. But why? Question is right. The thing is, if you're going to do that, the the Council at De- the City Council at Detroit are going to have to spend a heck of a lot of money on 
the on the roads because it's the only place I've ever been to in the world where the roads are worse than here in Northamptonshire for potholes and imperfections. There are potholes in Detroit, given that it is the motor capital of the USA, you could lose a full-size pickup truck down. <laughs> it is extraordinary. Now, I understand the weather plays a part with that, but a lot of, a lot of the street surfaces are concrete with all sorts of um, patches on them, but you'd have to do quite a lot of work mm. for that. Anyway, moving on. Where do you want to go to next, Tim? Well, staying with Cayman Island Sports Car News, uh, Czech manufacturer Praga has announced the creation of a UK-based one-make racing series beginning Ooh. in March next year. I'm available. It's going to be called the Praga Cup. Excellent. And will comprise of six rounds in the UK at Silverstone, Donington, Snetterton and Dalton Park. I know where all of those are. That's okay, good. Well, so far. Surely I'm fully qualified. Additionally, there will be one European round with the location to be disclosed. Lost. I mean, Bruno. It would make sense Most. to go to Bruno or Mondello Most, Park, wouldn't it? Mondello Park isn't much in the Czech Republic, is it? No, but it's European. It is European. Uh, Praga has revealed that a minimum of sixteen cars will be required for the series to run, and the uh, series will also have a maximum of twenty-four. Uh, the only permitted vehicle will be the Praga R1. And is it a single driver? Or is it dual drivers? Is it? 50-minute races, 20-minute races, or do we not know? You appear to be craving information just as in the press release. I'll, I'll come on to that, uh, which I've got uh, race when I is go through the press release in, in the sure order that it covers topics. All right, go on then. In addition, prizes awarded at the Ooh, end prizes. of the 2022 season include a factory car and Ooh. the chance to compete in the 25 Hours of Thunder Hill. Ooh. We've seen significant growth in 2021 in the awareness of Praga and the R1 and a, a successful year on the grid within Britcar and strengthened our team with the recruitment of Lucy as our motorsport manager, said Mark Harrison, managing director of Praga. Lucy Cars. who? Lucy Payne. Just Lucy. Just Lucy. Oh, Lucy Payne! Yes. Who used to, oh, right, okay. Lucy Payne used to work for... What are the... Spanish teams, didn't she? I should know Fair. that. That's not very. No, 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 no. One of the Spanish um, um, endurance racing teams. Sorry, Lucy. Epsilon Escardi. No, after that. More importantly, though, we saw increased interest from drivers, teams, and sponsors after releasing dramatic pictures of all nine competing R1s together on the grid at Silverstone in June. And this has encouraged us to build on momentum and target the One Make Cup in 2022. Terrific. Uh, so I think we can safely say that uh, John Heinzhoff is uh, expressing an interest in taking it's part available. in this championship. I am. I am. It's, you know, it is absolutely what they need is an influenza like me. Well, they've already got one, of course. Who? Jimmy, Bro- Jimmy Broadbent. Oh. <laughs> what, what they need... I'm not sure you can... His numbers, but okay. No, he's all right, actually. He's a good lad. What they need to do next um, that would please me no end is release a calendar oh very good point well made yes yes yeah just randomly reeling off four um circuits in uh, various parts of the uk just aren't enough for you too is it it's not when they've announced it'll be a seven weekend series uh (laughs) on the subject of weekends 
Uh, there's yes. some racing going on this weekend here there on is. RS1. We'll be covering the 12 hours of the Hungaro Ring. Nick Damon. You just ruined my, ruin my intro then, because I was going to say there is racing, but it's not happening where we thought it was going to happen. Because we Indeed. thought we were all off to, the, to, the, to sunny Sicily for the uh, second running of the Coppa Florio, uh, but that got changed two weeks ago. Um, yes. and, uh, I'm very disappointed, because I would... I would very much be uh, in sunny Sicily now if this race was going would ahead. You? Yeah, oh, well, that is disappointing. Yes. So unfortunately, it has moved to um, relatively sunny, though only twenty degrees and not, not this raining. weekend. No, no, I've seen the forecast. <laughs> not with that. Listen, it's going to be like being in a spin dryer in Europe this weekend with the anticyclone that's going to be hovering across northern Europe. Well, it's, it's, it's Hungary, where they go. It's Hungaro in northern Europe. It's very much central southern Europe, isn't it? Oh, uh, right. Well, okay. And it's not super hot. So, yes, yeah, so we now have the 12-hour Hungaro, Hungaro ring, which, which is a, obviously the next round in the Revenge Championship, and features a brand new format for the first time ever, John. Which is? Well, we've had what we've had. We've had 3 plus 9, mm-hmm. we've had 3 and a half plus 7 and a half, we've had 4 plus 8, we've had 6 plus 6, 10 plus 14, and 11 plus 13. To this time, we've got 2 plus 10. Oh, for the Hankook 12 Hankook hours of Hungary. Because they obviously were having it um, rearranged at short notice. They've actually got um, two days only, and that's Saturday and Sunday. So they've, they've actually got the promoted tests and practice and qualifying all happening on the Saturday. So it's a very, very busy Saturday indeed. There is, there is an unofficial test session on Friday, but we've got live coverage from a quarter to two UK time uh, on Friday. It'll be... Uh, Johnny Palmer and Peter Snowden on Friday. Bruce Jones. And they'll, uh, on Saturday, excuse me. No, Bruce isn't available on Saturday yeah. now. So it's going to be Johnny and Snowy uh, on uh, on Saturday from, as I say, um, 13.45, 1.45, through till just after half past five. So perfect uh, on the... Uh, afternoon that will be qualifying and the first part of the race then an early start on saturday when the race gets underway at 7:30 uk time uh, going all the way through uh, to 5:30 mm-hmm. on sunday so that's uh, sunday and that that will be Bruce Jones and Johnny and you'll have a little bit of Nick and I in the middle as well to give the boys a spell yes. so plenty going on and are we talking about what we're, what we're doing on saturday Oh, we'll do that in a moment. We'll, oh, we'll okay. do that uh, let's not make stories. On. In fact, we'll do that in the second hour of the programme. Oh, how exciting. Uh, what about we... the entry then, um, It's quite strong, actually. One, it, Obviously, it's thinner than it was when we thought the Coppa Ferraria, because we had a really good Italian entry, unfortunately, especially in two classes, one of which was the Wolf WR1s in the prototypes, and also had, they had a oh, really yeah, good yeah. collection good of um, Porsches yeah. as well. They had, they had like half a dozen in the 991 class of Italian cars, and a smattering elsewhere. Um, the guy, guys who seem to have decided to embrace the Hungara ring is very much the GT3s in fact and we have um, uh, Rutronic who we saw in Barcelona we have um, CP racing and a pair of Herberths as well as well as I think and JR, Mo- JR Motorsport with the BMW M6 GT3 and I am going to get called out here but I can't remember the M6 GT3 being in Creventic Racing that's a really good call but I in fairness I didn't c- didn't cover in detail some of the earlier races because I was 
doing I was doing different events. But it's 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 a bit so I'm a bit disappointed I'm not actually in the Hungara ring, but it's impossible to get there from the UK at the moment. Uh to have a look at it. But um yeah, so that's an interesting uh turn up. Then we had the Vortex of course. Um so that what that'll do, it'll either win or catch fire because that's what Vortexes do. Uh, so what we, what we got two, two, three, two, three, uh seven G T threes. Uh, which is canny. A couple of Herbeths in there. That's pretty good. We've got the GTX with the Vortex. And, of course, um, we've got the Lamborghini Huracan Super Trofeo. Now, this is a team that I don't know, which is the RD Symes Racing Team. Um, and I I think they have some local drivers there. Looks like they picked up uh, some, 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 certainly some Central European drivers, Lithuanians and uh, Italians. And then we have, uh, we've only got one 9 yeah, the 991 class has suffered with a change of venue because that was looking really tasty when it was in Sicily. And that is a Gen 1 991 cup, cup, cup car. Ha- however, we do have a P4, which is the Audi R8 LMS Evo 2 again. This is the car collection motorsport car. So back, um, for, back for more. Back for more uh, after its debut at Barcelona. We've got a single uh, BMW in the GT4 category for Sam Samantha Tan. Tan. Sam Tan with uh, Chandler Hull and John Miller. And the rest of the uh, events is made up by TCR or TCX car. Munkoff Racing are in the B. MWM4 GTR, which has been thrown in there, but a decent smattering of Audis and Volkswagens to battle it out in TCR. Yeah, as always. It, they, uh, but interesting, of course, that um, uh, Red Camel Jordan, who have been running that Porsche class, have noticed the lack of other Porsches and have dropped down to the TCRs. And ah, it's the whole yeah, family. Ivo, Luke and Rick are doing the whole thing with the uh, Audi RS3. Oh, no, that's, a, but that's an Audi. Oh, yeah. Good point. Well made. Not, not a Cupra. Not a Cupra. All right. They okay. Have, they well, I wonder who they've rented it from. They probably don't own it anymore because of the fact they bought the Porsche. So they probably no. They only rented the Porsche from. Um, well remembered. Yes, they did. Speedlover. Yes, from Speedlover. So they that was a cup car. They obviously rented this from someone else then. Yeah. Very <laughs> good. Well, I'm pleased to see that they're going out for the family, uh, for they the family are. outing. Join us then on Friday, Saturday in sound. Excuse me, Saturday mm. in sound and vision. From 1.45 UK time for qualifying and we'll run through uh, with a wee bit of a break uh, to about half past five for the first two hours of the race will be completed by then. And then on Sunday morning, half seven uh, for the start of the race, I presume we'll be on that Lucas will be before that. Yeah, Lucas will be on the grid half an hour uh, before that, and we'll go all the way through till half past five. Now that is the full metal racing at the weekend. Meanwhile, and next, Tim, uh, in the next hour, we'll talk about uh, what else we're doing at the weekend. Okay, uh, but first we're going to continue with our visit Cayman Island sports car news. Oh, excellent! Uh, because there is an additional invitational round of the 2021 Porsche Carrera Cup Asia, presented by Axim Trade, taking place this year. Announced this morning, they will be racing in Macau over the weekend of the 19th to the 21st of November, supporting the Macau Grand Prix. It's a non-championship race, uh, but it's not their first visit to. Macau because they were there uh, last in 2013 when it was the Porsche 911 GT3 uh, sorry now it's the Porsche 911 GT3 Cup cars making their debut around the streets of the former Portuguese colony now in addition to the 
usual Pro, Pro-Am and Am driver classes, there's an additional category for previous generation 991 cars, giving the Porsche Sports Cup China racers the opportunity to compete with the regular Porsche Carrera Cup Asia field. So 991 and 992 machinery will race on track together for the first time. The 992 car has enjoyed a successful debut season with nine races and four rounds completed at three venues, Shanghai, Zhuhai and Ningbo. You can catch up with those on the uh, websites. Uh, just search for Porsche. Uh, Daniel Liu and Kui Yue are locked in a tense title battle in the pro class with Bao Jing Long holding a strong lead in the Pro-Am category. And brothers Eric and Henry Kwong have shared the race wins in the Am class, Eric currently holding the title lead. There are two point-scoring rounds remaining, with a trip to Juju set for the 22nd to the 24th of October, ahead of the season finale in Shanghai a week later. Well, earlier, John caught up with Alexandre Gibo, the managing director of Porsche Motorsport Asia Pacific. I'm very happy to be uh, again uh, with uh, with you guys uh, to to bring you super great news. So we are back in Macau, so we will be back as an additional races, as an invitational races. Uh, it will be definitely a big, big highlight of uh, of our season. A big highlight because uh, in the in the region, but not only in the region. I think from uh, a global motorsport point of view, Macau, uh, with the history, with the challenge that the track represents and the prestige, uh, it's definitely something that we are really, really looking forward to uh, to end the season, the, the season on on high. Yeah, a season, Alexandra, that has already been very, very successful, and we should talk about this because first of all, the honour of being chosen as of one of just five Carrera Cups around the world, to have the, the new 992 Cup car. That must have been great news for you, even at the start of the season. You know, it was fantastic. It was uh, to be selected, and it shows also the, uh, you know, the respect and the trust from uh, from the factory back in Vaisa on uh, all our activities here in Asia. Uh, we were the very first market to present the car in sneak preview last year in September in Shanghai at our Porsche Experience Centre. Uh, and yes, as you said, we are one of the first car cup, first five car cup to release the 992 GT3 Cup, um, and uh, so that was the main element already of the season. And it was also a great way to restart because you know, due to the pandemic, we had to do a, a pause in uh, 2020, but we restarted in uh, in 2021. Uh, we are on the way uh, to deliver 15 races, uh, so over six racing weekends, and now plus. Uh, Macau as uh, invitational races, so uh, it's it's a very good season for us. It's a complete different, also, uh, let's say, a car cup profile uh, when you compare with uh, what we have seen in the last, uh, let's say, 17 years uh, before. Um, this year we have more Chinese driver than ever. Uh, we have 20 Chinese driver when we used to have two to three Chinese drivers. So. Um, we also have more uh, Porsche uh, dealers coming from China, from the dealer group, uh, and it makes a, a very, very great championship from a sporting point of view, uh, but also yeah, from uh, from an exposure point of view. I think we have a uh, we have a great season, and you know, uh, when we decided to to restart, uh, we we were always pushing to restart as soon as possible the championship, and uh, there was two strategy. You know, the first strategy was to we see when the, the, the border from the other country in the region will reopen and we uh, we hope for the best. 
or we are more practical and uh, let's focus on China because we are based in China. And last year, we already uh, organized the Porsche Sports Cup China at the end of the year. Uh, we were the only uh, motorsport event here in, uh, in, in Shanghai last year. Uh, so we said, okay, let's focus on China. Let's be practical um, and, uh, and, and let's make it happen. And I think we, at the beginning, it was just a, a way to, to restart, but actually we are enjoying very much the way uh, the Porsche Car Cup Asia presented by Extreme Trade is, is turning in, in 2021. Well, and you mentioned there the other big news this year, Axim Trade, it's big news. Yeah, now they're on board uh, as a title sponsor, and I think that's the best sign uh, on how healthy uh, is the series. Usually when you uh, when you attract uh, a title sponsor such as Axim Trade, I think it's a, it's a great sign that your series is recognized as a, as a great platform of, uh, uh, of exposure for uh, for China and for and for Asia. Uh, so for us, when we when we contracted the, the the partnership and when we announced the partnership back in July, it was one uh, more important milestone that we we managed to do this year uh, with uh, with Porsche Car Cup Asia. Take you back to the announcement today and the, the this great news that Porsche Carrera Cup Asia, presented by Axim Trade, will be at Macau uh, supporting the the Grand Prix. It's not just going to be the 992s either. Yeah, I think for us, uh, as we said, you know, Macau is something quite uh, quite special. Uh, we wanted to uh, also invite the, the 991 to do a 991 class. Uh, so we will have the, the typical uh, PCCA classification with our overall, our, our program and our arm drivers. Uh, but we will also introduce the uh, 991, uh, same as it's done also in the uh, Porsche Car Cup uh, North America. So we want also to manage to have a, a super great field and to give the, the possibility to, uh, you know, to, to, to put Macau on your bucket list, I think. Uh, most of the drivers in the region, they are dreaming about doing Macau one day and want also to make this dream, uh, you know, uh, possible. And uh, it's also a great, uh, great bridge with the, the other series we are running in, uh, in China, with the Porsche Sports Cup China. Uh, so the only way to, be, uh, to get your invitation in 991 class uh, for Macau will be to participate in the season finale of the Sports Cup China right. in Shanghai at the end of October. So it's a very great bridge also with the other racing platform we are running. Uh, let's uh, just finish up with a, a thought about the rest of the Porsche Carrera Cup Asia presented by Axim Trade. Still five rounds to go. Next, we're off to Zhuzhou, which is a new circuit for everybody. What, what can we expect from Zhuzhou then? Because it's a circuit that I don't know. I think nobody knows the circuit. Uh, barely uh, no single driver has been uh, doing even a test there. So I think we can uh, definitely expect uh, a battle till the till the last round here in uh, in Shanghai. Uh, in overall class at the moment, we have three points only um, between uh, between uh, between Daniel Lu and Long and, and between Su uh, Yue. So I think we're gonna have an absolute fantastic uh, battle till the till the last uh, till the last race, and it's the same also for the uh, for the dealer trophy. Uh, you know the competition between our um, our Porsche Chinese uh, dealer group. The gap is also pretty pretty tight. So I think yes, yeah, it's gonna be exciting. It's great racing. As this year we are also visiting new circuits. Um, I mean, circuit apart from Shanghai before we never, uh, Shanghai and Zhuai, all the other circuits are new. So 
it's a great uh, it's a great way to uh, to you know to restart racing in in 2021. Car uh, presented by Extreme Trade and Porsche Motorsport Asia Pacific in general, uh, is alive and more than alive, and we are more than active, you know, uh, today in the region. And actually, the the, the pandemic uh, for us, we are uh, even more active and we have even more development than uh, than before. Uh, because we we definitely during the all this period we uh, we kept pushing and uh, and for us we we definitely feel that we have a mission here which is developing the sports car and the motorsport culture and uh, and now uh, myself and the 14 uh, full-time team member I have with me uh, we are all going in the same direction. Well, it's been great racing already. I, I know the times sometimes are a little bit challenging for people over here in Europe, but we have been broadcasting both in audio and in video here on radio-show.co.uk and all the details are on Porsche Carrera Asia's Facebook page with all the links on there and you can get yourself up to date and there's an archive of audio and video on there as well. Uh, Managing Director, Porsche Motorsport Asia Pacific Limited, Alexandre Gibault. Thank you for joining us, Alexandre, and, and give our best to all the team. You've done a cracking job under very difficult circumstances this year and this is great news about Macau. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, John. Always a pleasure to be part of your show. Thank you very much. That was uh, Alex Gibor, who I spoke to earlier on today. We're in the Visit Cayman Islands Sports Car News Roundup here on Midweek Motorsport. And we'll stay with Carrera Cup, actually, and go to the Visit Cayman Islands. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Do you need a pit reporter for Macau? Because I'd quite like to go back. Uh... Do you speak fluent Mandarin Chinese? My cousin does. So you don't, then? I'm not sure how, I don't think you'd probably be allowed to go to, to uh, Macau now, would you? I reckon I would be. All right, we don't have time for this conversation. Uh, let's move to the Porsche Carrera Cup North America, uh, presented by Visit Cayman Islands, uh, where... We've just got the entry lists today, actually, for the next round of the IMSA Championships. That will be at VIR, Virginia International Raceway. Two rounds for uh, PCC-NA before they head to the triple header at uh, Michelin Raceway Road, Atlanta. All of the usual suspects, I'm scrolling down, yep. It's becoming a three-driver battle between the two Kelly Moss Road and Race Drivers, Kai Van Berlo and Seb Prio. And adding to that, after a decent weekend at the uh, triple header at Indy for JDX Racing's Parker Thompson, the young American, uh, the young, sorry, Parker, I'm very sorry, the young Canadian driver um, pushing hard the two Europeans. And there will have to be a decision on that young driver nomination as well uh, before we get to Michelin Road, uh, Michelin Raceway Road, Atlanta, because there's a shootout place up for grabs as well. And I I reckon that takes place before the end of the North American Championship. As far as the other major races, uh, Michelin GT Challenge, Brian Sellers and Madison Snow will go into the weekend as the new leaders of the Sprint Cup uh, in GT Daytona. Uh, And we'll have Brian and Madison talking about VIR next week. And we'll also have the Kelly Moss Road 
and racing team talking about having two drivers head to head in the uh, Porsche Carrera Cup North America as well. Uh, Kevin Estra is the big story in the Michelin GT Challenge at VIR for the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. He's back with Cooper McNeil, uh, or he is with Cooper McNeil rather in the WeatherTech Racing Porsche. Uh, Cooper has been um, uh, plundering Porsche Works drivers uh, this year. Remember, it is a GT-only event, and it runs on the Saturday. It is uh, Nick Tandy and Tommy Milner who come into that in form for GT Le Mans, but after a, a horrible race, race weekend on the streets of Long Beach for the GT Daytona Championship leaders uh, in Turner Motorsport, it's all closed right up there. We've also got the uh, Michelin Prototype Challenge as well, with 20 entries in GS Grand Sport and a massive 15 entries in touring cars. So by far the biggest entry of the weekend. Uh, we'll have a full rundown of that uh, with Shea Adam when she's back with us next week as we begin our build-up uh, to that Michelin uh, GT Racing Weekend for WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and the Virginia is for Lovers Grand Prix for IMSA Michelin Pilot Challenge. That's a two-hour race as well. Very different-looking schedule. Uh, not this weekend, but next weekend. More news about that uh, next week here on Midweek Motorsport. Did you mention Mark Miller? Oh, no, I didn't mar- mention Mark Miller. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I, I scrolled down and wondered why I was looking at Gradient Racing. Mark Miller has, and, and we have our ankle injury expert here, <laughs> Mark Miller has ruptured his Achilles oh, tendon. Oh, be out for a while then. He's having surgery on it. They, they, America, the Americans they have a bit of surgery. In the UK, they, let you, they, they heal themselves. He'll be in a boot for at least eight weeks. He thinks he's going to be racing in Patila Mom. If he can race with the boots, then that's fine. But he won't be able to walk. we don't. Mm. No, it's a much so. nastier engine you think it's going to be. So, Gradient Racing have drafted in Super Mario Farnbacher to drive with Till Bechtelsheimer in the 66 Unit Nutrition HPD uh, Acura NSX, which was the best finishing Acura at the weekend on the streets. They were very happy with that. Uh, right, more details about that next week when Shea is back with us, for the moment at least. Uh, those are the top stories in the sports car world brought to you with Visit Cayman Islands. Oh, sorry, you caught me off guard there. <clears throat> it's Midweek Motorsport, and here's what's coming up. We'll have more of your tweets at Specutainment, please. We have, of course, team, team by team. Nick Damon's, well, it's the only thing you need to know about Formula One uh, with uh, Nick Damon coming up in our number two. We've got a bit of bike news, quite a lot of bike news to fit in. And some of it, I'm afraid, is of the very worst kind. If you haven't caught up with the stories uh, over the weekend. Uh, World Superbikes, uh, British Superbikes uh, and... Uh, back to MotoGP at the weekend as well. But next, we talk to an author who has seamlessly blended F1 with a thriller. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. Well, delighted to say that joining us now is the author, J.K. Kelly, the man behind 
uh, a motor racing driver that you may not have heard of before until you read the book Deadly Driver, and that's Bryce Winters, uh, Formula One world champion from the United States. Uh, this book is, well, I read it pretty much in one sitting, combines two of my favourite things, motor racing and uh, thriller, I suppose, would be the, the right way to describe it. Um, JK, can I, may I call you Jim? Uh, yes, welcome sir. to the show. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Uh, tell me a little bit about, about the premise of this book without giving anything too much away. Why did you think it was a good idea to combine race driving, in particular Formula One, with a, an international thriller and intrigue story? Um. I'm accustomed to writing thrillers anyway. Most of them are based in either military or law enforcement, FBI, U.S. Marines, whatever. And because I had such an extensive background in motorsports, uh, probably about a year and a half ago, I, I just said to myself, what if? And I, I was looking at F1 drivers, how they get to travel the world. They run in some very fast circles, but they also have access. And they have access to celebrities, politicians, good guys, bad guys, whatever, people who want want to FaceTime and to post for pictures. And I just thought, wouldn't it be interesting if one of those individuals was working as a spy? And then I just started to develop the thought, the theory. And uh, before you know it, it went to paper, and then I couldn't stop writing. <laughs> so it, the, the, the creative process began with a simple thought like that and, and then basically snowballed then. Yes. It, uh, as a writer, a lot of people will tell you that you need to develop outlines and, and such. James Patterson told me, you've got to put everything on a whiteboard and develop it. And I had a rough idea in my mind, but my style is to sit back, sit down. You think that you know where the end zone is, you know where the checker flag's supposed to be <laughs> and how are you going to get there? And it's interesting. Sometimes you'll think you know where you're headed. And as the writing prog progresses, all of a sudden you just make a left or a right hand turn because to me, the best thing about a good thriller, whether it's a book or a TV show or a film, is catching people off guard or taking them in a direction they weren't suspecting. And I think since you've read it, I think you, you might say that might be the case with Deadly Driver. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Uh, more, more twists and turns than the Nürburgring Nordschleifer, uh, in, in point of fact. You can put that on the, on the back of your next book, John Heindorf, Radio Show Limited. Um, the, uh, what experience did you draw on? for the characters there's clearly now that you've mentioned your um writings if, with law enforcement in the military i can clearly see there's there's parts of that within the book and again i'm being very careful because i it, it would be too easy to say too much here and uh, i don't want to spoil the book but is there a single individual on which you based bryce winters or is it an amalgamation He's he's a mixture. To, to be honest with you, as a young as a young guy, I loved as a kid. I loved the James Bond thrillers. I loved those movies. Um, at the time, I watched the movies. I didn't read very much. Um, and then uh, in years to come, as Lee Child developed Jack Reacher's character mm. and uh, Jason Bourne came about, um, it was pretty easy for me to put all these three characters kind of together. They're the three that um, really. <laughs> really excited me and I think uh, I think it's turned out well. It's interesting that you mentioned Bond because one of the things I was going to ask you about is whether the writings of Ian Fleming had had influenced you. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of the movies but I'm also a huge fan of of the books 
And I would always urge people who think they like James Bond as a movie franchise to actually go and read the books. Some of it is source material, some of it is very different. Fleming had a particular style which was in some ways 100 miles an hour, but his attention to detail in particularly the cars and things like that and the roads and the driving sequences were absolutely extraordinary. And with your background, clearly you have done similar things in your descriptions of of the vehicles and the driving sequences that are in this book. Well, that's true, but, you know, there's a balancing act to that because when you write a thriller, you want there's a massive audience around the world and there's also a massive audience of Formula One fans and racing fans. And I wanted to give just enough to entertain the motorsports fans without turning the other crowd off. And to me, it was a pretty tight balancing act. So I didn't get too descriptive. I didn't get too technical. Um, If I was just looking for the motorsports audience, I could have done much more. But I wanted to entertain everybody. And I think the, the best part about everything I've tried to do in my life is because I love motorsports so much, I've always tried to do whatever I can to entice people to come to a race no matter if it's a formula one race watch it on tv go to the local oval track on a saturday night go to a drag strip on a sunday if you've never been there just check it out you might get caught up in it and when autosport gave us a review of the book a few months back the thing that really excited me the most about it other than the fact they said it was really good they said it could be considered a gateway for to racing for non-racing fans very and that totally so. yeah very very much so if people are going into this expecting a blow by blow of gear shift and side by side driving that's not what this is about the it is a genuine thriller and a page turner at that the intrigue is is on every page in in every chapter held against the backdrop of a formula 1 season calendar which which of course weaves through and takes us around the world like a travel log jim very much so and the interesting thing for our timing today is that the book as you know starts at the uh, formula one event in sochi the timing couldn't be better but as an aside for the people out there because most of most of your audience are race fans and racers and racing people if they want more motorsports if they want more detail if they want more specificity uh, the first novel that I ever wrote that tied motorsports into everything was uh, essentially an autobiography that I titled Fuelin' Around. And it's it's based it's- on my life story when I started out writing for magazines in high school and wound up where I am today. So um, if anybody wants more detail and more diversity, um, stepping into um, having meetings with characters like John Force or trying to mm. get an, un- an unnamed uh, engine manufacturer for F1 to try one of our fuel products um, a few years ago and what that turned into. That would be an interesting read for anybody fueling around. Uh, we, we should mention uh, you've spent the majority of your working life working, and I, I, we only found this out very recently, working for VP Racing Fuels, one of our partners here at Radio Show Limited, and, and with particularly with our IMSA radio product. Uh, how, how much then have you been able to draw on the experiences that you got but in your quote unquote, as my father, God rest his soul, was said, in your day job. <laughs> well, I've I've been able to draw a tremendous amount from it because I've I've been able through the through VP I've been able to meet an awful lot of very interesting, very exciting, very well known people. 
I've been able to go through doors because of the VP name that would not have been open to me in the past. And that in and of itself was invaluable. Uh, when you go anywhere in the world these days and you say you're with VP Racing Fuels, that carries a lot of weight and gives you a lot of credibility. That was until, um, if I could tell you a quick story, that was until probably 10 years ago, an American decided he was going to form a Formula One team. And it made perfect sense for me to turn around and say, well, if it's an American team, they should be running in American fuel. So we had one already. I dealt with Char Charlie Whiting and a bunch of other folks, making sure we got something that was met the criteria. And so the team turned us on to their engine builder, who I won't name. And uh, for the first time in my life, we ran into a brick wall. I said, what's going on here? This is a VP Racing Fuels. We make good quality products, as everyone knows. And they said, that's fine. But if you want us to try your product, you're going to have to send us $300,000 because you're going to have to pay for the engine rebuilds. So welcome to F1 is what I said that day. And, and clearly that project didn't get much further, Jim. Well, A, the, the budget, we, we don't usually pay people to try our products. They usually come to us and say, can you make me go faster? Yep. Uh, B, that team never got off the ground. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'm sure as heck glad that I never spent the money. Let's put it that way. Well, indeed so. Indeed so. Um, having read the book, um, a, a breakneck pace as befits... Formula One. Couple of couple of comments that I have on it, which I think people will enjoy. I like the broad brushstrokes that you were talking about. It, it isn't just going to appeal to motorsport enthusiasts, as I say. That that is the backdrop to the story, and it's not just Formula One. There's a lot of really very cleverly woven in uh, notes on other parts of motor racing. Was that deliberate, Jim? Yes, it was. I thought, thank you for that. But I, I think it was it was necessary to tell the story because um, racers typically don't make it to the to the top echelon until they've gone through a, quite a lot of growing and, and testing and, and performing. And what I have to say at the onset is I followed the career of Mario Andretti for, for years. When I was growing up, he was a hero. He was he was represented everything in racing that I thought someone should do. They won Daytona 500, they won the Indy 500, then he became a Formula One world champion, and that impressed me. And by the way, he lives about an hour from me, uh, just up the road. But anyway, <clears throat> as I needed to start the story, um, there's been some jokes made about an American Formula One champion, and and uh, I think there's no reason why we can't have one. So <clears throat> this character grew up in the hills of Vermont, and anybody who's been in New England knows that there's a lot of hills and mountains up that way. Yeah, beautiful. And as any... In America, everybody pictures everyone in Southern California just drag racing on the streets. Well, this gentleman, Bryce Winters, the young Winters, um, would take his car out and he'd, he'd run through the mountains. And uh, then he tried rally racing, went through that, decided he wanted to try something different, got into oval track racing, did a lot of things in New England, and um, met someone, without giving too much away, met someone who helped him tremendously, who had an interest in racing as well, and formed a team and got him to move to the next step and the next step. And he was following Andretti's successes. Yes. And so, as you know from the book, one of his goals is he wants to beat Andretti. He wants to better him by winning a second F1 title. That's where we are. Uh, in in some in some respects, Bryce Winters, the, the lead character in Deadly Driver, is a bit of a throwback. You don't say exactly when this 
uh, when this story is based, but we're talking about Formula One cars with halos, so that gives it a uh, it does give it a timeline. But in some ways, he's a throwback because he's still wanting to do other stuff. He wants to drive endurance races. He wants to do the Rolex Twenty Four. He wants to do Le Mans Twenty Four, uh, and th- that struck a chord with me. And I've you know I've often asked the question out loud to, to some of the, the drivers we know. Why don't people do that? Um, it, it, it is something that's fallen away, but I think it, it, gives, uh, it gives Bryce Winters a, an extra dimension, Jim. Very much so. Um, he's, he's his own man. He chooses to do what he wants to do. And um, his, the gentleman behind him uh, allows him to do that, doesn't cause any roadblocks, because he's obviously going along for the ride as well. If Bryce does well, it's in one of the benefactor's cars, and he does well. His brand does well. So it's a win-win. Um, I see a lot of drivers, F1 drivers and endurance drivers who, who race, and then after they've retired, then they try something else. Yeah. Um, and this character likes getting involved with all, all sorts of things. Um, he's very interested in still jumping into a rally car. He will be doing something at Le Mans. And um, I just I wanted to make the character as interesting as possible. Um, the other thing is, for everybody that's listening, some people love books. They love to read. And there's some folks out there that probably haven't read a book in 20 or 30 years. I've run into people at book signings that said, I've not read a book since high school. And they're 60 years old. Hmm. So in, in creating this and writing this and the style that I used, I keep the pacing going, but I also don't overburden the pages with detail. Yeah. Because... To me, that slows things down. Um, when I tell a joke, uh, a monkey walks into a bar, I don't spend a lot of time talking about the color of the wallpaper or the color of the seats or the floor tiles. <laughs> I, I go right for the punchline. And so that's kind of my style. Um, that may or may not work for some people, but it's 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 what I do. And so far, it's been proven pretty well. Well, and, and, and this is a thriller. It happens to be based in the world of motor racing and more specifically Formula One. And that's where the league character earns his principal pennies uh, out of but it's a thriller and and as such you would expect it to to move along there's a nice synergy with the pace of of a formula one season as well as i say i I think it's a nice throwback um it's a it's unfortunately we don't get formula one drivers with that kind of character and that kind of uh freedom anymore is is that you saying I'd kind of like my Formula One drivers to be a little bit more um, of a rounded character, not necessarily doing everything that that your lead character does, because obviously this is this is a work of fiction and and there's mm-hmm. the thriller element to it. But in terms of of how he approaches his motor racing, that's very much you targeting. Is well, I'm asking you, is this you targeting your um, following of motor racing from from a few years ago, and particularly people who were mighty all-rounders like Mario Andretti, Vic Elford, all those greats of the past? Uh, I think you could say that. I think you've, you've hit it on the head. I would love to be able to see a Formula One driver get, get into some other things and, and prove his wares uh, somewhere else. I understand why they don't do it yeah, and some cases why, they, why they can't do it. Mm. Uh, but <clears throat> it's... Um, whether you're talking about Mario or AJ Foyt or um, Tony Stewart would be a great example. Great Tony example, Stewart. yeah. Um, he's jumping. He's jumped into stock cars, Indy cars. Um, now Jimmy he's Johnson right now as well. Yes, yes. And um, in the case of Tony, um, he's driving a top fuel car. 
He's yeah. got his license now with Top Fuel, he, and he's engaged to Leo Pruitt. And so here's a guy who can who can race and win and just about anything he jumps into. And that impresses me. Um, it's sort of like a guy who runs a uh, triathlon. Um, some people can run great sprint races. Some yeah. people can do this or do that. Some people can play rugby or football or baseball, whatever, soccer, whatever. But when you can do it all, I think that just makes you bigger and more impressive. I, I got the strong suspicion reading the book. Um, and again, I'm going to be very careful not to give particularly the ending uh, away. And also in what you've just said to me a little bit earlier on that this is the, not the last we're going to hear from uh, <laughs> F1 driver uh, Bryce Winters. Uh, are you already planning? Do you have something in mind? What can oh, you yeah. tell us? Yes, I'm, I'm very deep into the sequel right now. Um, uh, I was at, uh, I was at, at, at Daytona excuse me, in February. Um, I've been to the Rolex race many, many times because I was there fueling it with VP Racing Fuels. But uh, I was there doing some other research while I was there, uh, looking at looking at the event from a different perspective. And I was headed for Le Mans, but thanks to COVID, um, mm. the restrictions, as you know, uh, neither one of us were able to go there this year. Um, but I just got back from my first trip to Goodwood and um, had a tremendous time. I fell in love with that event, fell in love with the, the uh, facility. Uh, the grounds are very, very impressive. And so I can assure you that in the in the sequel, um, that I'm developing, you're going to see a lot more from Bryce. Um, and the, the interesting thing is, which we didn't mention, this isn't just a racing story about a race driver who's going fast and dealing with uh, people that are making him, forcing him to do some very bad things. It's also a love story. He's mm. dealing with he's dealing with his past. He's trying to get over the, an incredible heartbreak from his past. He's dealing with a very interesting Uncle Pete, who I hope you enjoyed him. Oh yeah, he was great. <laughs> and he's now and <laughs> he's now found someone who has caught his eye and um so for people who who like some diversity there is it's a love story it's a it's a champion story um it's a racing story it's a thriller it's a spy novel it's got a little bit of everything to it well, I'm very gonna, proud. as as well you should be and it, it it looks like the start of a a great series if i may say so jim you're getting you're getting onto my ground though if you're going to be Coming to Rolex and Le Mans and various other things, I'm going to have to be careful what I say in case I pop up in the next one. Oh, you just may very well do that. <laughs> may very well do that. And, and the other thing is that, that I'm very proud of too. <clears throat> For whatever reason, you know, I've written other books. I, I've written um, this is my sixth novel, and what people come away with, other than the fact that they say my pacing is always fast, the the constant theme is the constant comment is that they believe this reads like it should turn into a movie mm. or a, or a series. And I'm very happy to say that we've gotten a lot of interest um, from people in Los Angeles who are looking at it now to develop it into something. Oh, cool. So, um, so the good part about that is I've got something they're interested in and, and it, it does push me to have to continue to write. So I, I love the character. I love the story. Um, and I'm deep into the sequel, as I said, so hopefully people will fall for the first book and be looking for the second one. Well, um, I, I know from the dedication that um, it was to your dad, and mm -hmm. I think he'd be very proud with what you've uh, published here as Deadly Driver, a thriller by J.K. Kelly. Jim, thanks for joining us. Um, available at all good bookstores and online, I presume. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. If anybody, also, just so everyone knows, if you want to get a little uh, snippet from the book, I've put Chapter 1 up on my website so they can go to J.K. Kelly 
com and read the first chapter if they'd like to. Oh, what a great idea. Absolutely great idea. Jim, thanks very much. I, I'm now waiting with bated breath for the second one. Um, and, and however many more there are to come, it's right up my alley, right along the style of some of those uh, those other thriller writers that, that you mentioned there, all of whose work I consume voraciously. Thanks for joining us, Jim, here on Midweek Motorsport. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Tomorrow night at 9 here on RS1, it's on the grid and they'll be talking about the Smashing Sydney Supercar Swing with four V8 Supercar events taking place at Sydney Motorsport Park, uh, plus their special guest is Cooper Murray who will be heading to represent Australia in the Porsche Junior Shootout. That's tomorrow night at 9 here on RS1 with On The Grid. Uh, If you're in downtown Indianapolis right now, look out for the chicken limo. Uh, Alex Palo is on board. He is uh, not just the new IndyCar champion. He is a connoisseur of fried chicken. And uh, hopefully Nick Damon is still with us as we do this. Because this is our first story from Formula One. Hooray! Oh, we're getting wet. Oh, it's raining a little bit. Oh, hooray! Oh, what do I do? Do I carry on hooraying or stop? Oh, no, I've gone intermediate. Uh, the uh, story that requires that jingle is that we have a date for the first Miami Sometime Grand Prix. Sometime in May, isn't it? It's May the 8th. May something. The yes. weekend of May the 8th. Yes, uh, race around a car park on May the 8th. Excellent. One other Formula 1 story, and that is the Saudi Automobile and Motorcycle Federation, SAMF, which is the promoter of the Formula 1 Saudi Arabian Grand Prix 2021, has become an official world record holder. The final brick... So if Roy Castle been there and, 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 and made sure that's true, Norris and Norris McGuirty, yes. The final brick was placed by the chairman of SAMF, His Royal Highness Prince Khalid bin Sultan al Abdullah Al Faisal to complete the world's largest Lego brick build of a Formula One car. The record was certified by Guinness World Records, whose representatives observed the successful completion of the Lego brick build of a Formula One car before officially verifying the achievement. Located at the Red Sea Mall in Jeddah, the assembly of the world's largest Lego brick build of a Formula One car used 500,000 bricks and was carried out by Lego certified professionals. This provided hundreds of thousands of Saudi Arabians with the opportunity to participate and donate to this charity record-breaking endeavour. All the contributors. Still names. not as big as the. Uh, still not as big as the Audi that we talked about in last week's show. Not well, Formula One car. Eighteen. All contributors' names are clearly displayed on a digital screen next to the record-breaking construction, guaranteeing their historic achievement has been marked forever. Speaking afterwards, His Royal Highness said, I'm ecstatic to announce the completion of the world's largest ever Lego brick build of a Formula One car, fully approved and certified by Guinness World Records. It's an indescribable feeling to be part of not one, but two world record-breaking moments in the same year, with the Jeddah Cornish circuit set to become the longest and fastest street circuit on the planet when it makes its debut at the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix in December. And I'm, d- I'm sure that uh, all the colleagues of the journalist that they chopped up are really happy about that pointless <laughs> press release. Uh, it was the Grand Russian Grand Prix at the weekend, so here's Nick Damon's team-by-team team review of the Russian Grand Prix. Thank you very much. And it was a game of two halves. Well, it was a game of three, what, seven-eighths and an eighth. 
and it was also obviously a game. Yes, weather weather dominated the uh, the Russian Grand Prix, and I suppose the just add water Nemec, which certainly gave a push towards the excitement that was the Russian Grand Prix. Very much a game of, as I said before, two halves. Uh, we'll start with team who didn't have two halves, which was of course Haas, who have uh, propped at the bottom. Uh, Mick Schumacher didn't finish. Uh, and Nikita Mazepan managed to be four seconds slower than Mick during qualifying and annoy people during the race by weaving all over in front of them through the braking zone. And for some reason, Michael Massey thinks that's absolutely fine. Don't know why, because frankly, he is a liability. Um, next Michael up, Massey, were William. not or Nikita Mazepan. You need to be clear here for legal reasons. Oh, they're both liabilities. One, one for his driving and the other one for not taking action on it. So they're double liabilities. Um, and and if anyone wants to sue me for calling them a liability, <laughs> I'll meet you in court. I'm not sure where that court would be. It'd be a very, very cheap court. Um, so uh, yeah, Williams were next up. Uh, Nicholas Latifi had a, um interesting weekend. He, he was actually pretty much on the pace of, of George Russell up to second qualifying, where they decided not to bother doing second qualifying because he was taking an engine change, uh, which is quite common. Uh, and then uh, had a, a race which was going quite well. It was, the car felt really, really good, and then it rained and he pulled off. Um, probably to have a, uh, a, a, a you're not going to finish in the top 10, so we'll just pretend you've broken down gearbox change. Um, George Russell qualified third against two wet races, two ridiculously high qualifying. This time he managed to actually start the race because the race took place, unlike in Spa, and managed to get himself um, the modern version of a Truly train, which is a Russell DRS train uh, for a number of laps, his first pit stop behind him, including cars like Lance Stroll, uh, Daniel Ricciardo and some bloke called Lewis Hamilton were, were held up by him. Uh, no, he wasn't doing anything wrong. He's quite allowed to do it. Uh, when he then stopped early, he began to fade back and ended up 10th after really, uh, I think in hindsight, stopping too early. Tires going off. And then kind of in this kind of very tight, as you'll see, the uh, the kind of t- the, the topsy-turvy element of this race, depending on what you did either side of the uh, of the rain, uh, George basically was one of the few people who stayed in the same position either side of the rain because he just about he was just about to lose a position to Aston Martin. Rain came, got a position back. Um, so yeah, I think he must be very happy on Saturday and went, well, I've scored four out of the last five, so that's not too bad. Um, next up are Alpha Tauri in 17th finishing was Yuki Tsunoda, and, and Yuki Tsunoda gets more and more anonymous by the week. Um, his confidence is obviously shot. He didn't throw it off, which is plus point. He didn't go quickly, which is negative point. And he was monumentally outperformed by Pierre Gasly all weekend. Though Pierre decided to be grumpy Pierre this weekend. Uh, was very upset with uh, missing his opportunities within the qualifying. And was even more upset after the race. Just fear they didn't maximise any of the chance they had. They ran very long in the first um, part of the race. Uh, and they were be, he was kind of being overtaken on, on very tired tyres by cars coming back through. And he kind of fails at that point. They perhaps let him out too long. But as it was, he couldn't capitalise on the water. So he did not uh, get any points. Alfa Romeo, on the other hand, did score points. But not with Antonio Giovinazzi, who um, came 16th. Now, unfortunately for a man who was trying to impress people... Uh, to get his drive, he um, had one of the worst things in poppy, possibly happened in modern F1 in that his radio failed. So he had no communications with the pits um, after about two or three laps, which meant that he couldn't get all the information they needed. They couldn't do the timing for the pit stops. Most importantly, they couldn't give him any information about the rain or give him an idea when to come off. So unsurprisingly, he was one of the losers in the rain situation. However, one of the winners and drove an excellent race uh, back from COVID-19, fit as a fiddle, Kimi Raikkonen, uh, put the car on eighth with what was probably his best race. It's his first highest points scoring race of two years, and I think a, a very complete performance. He was actually looking pretty good prior to that and was running at a reasonable pace. 
Anyway, so good one from Kimmy. Um, next up, it's Ferrari, actually. Mainly because Charles Leclerc, who was going very, very well until the rain, had a massive fade towards the back. Charles was obviously also came from the back of the grid because he did a, a full engine change as well just to get the new energy store which is supposed to give I don't know another 10 horsepower it was all kind of difficult to see what it really was but they wanted to try a new engine for him he started at the back with um, Verstappen he was first of all was dropped by Verstappen he was came back towards Verstappen uh, so he was looking around the 7th 8th position uh, and then the rain came. He stayed out too long. Eventually, skidded off the track. And I think he actually managed to get back on the track again. So he actually did get. A, uh, he was classified as 16th. His teammate, of course, Carlos Sainz, picked up a podium. Um, he he won the the run down to the first corner, uh, which is as you know is a, is a slipstream battle here in Sochi, and led the first oh, about 15 laps or 20 laps before he came in for to, to, as his tyres were Lando got past him, Lando Norris got past him, came in for tyres, but got kind of caught up in a in the in the in the kind of the I suppose really the the, the he came in early, so got stuck behind him, hadn't stopped. It's very hard to overtake unless you got a really big differential. The car wasn't working particularly well at that point, and he was told he was going to be fifth, and was very upset about that. Uh, but actually, when it all ran, kind of came out and run down, he managed to get himself into third with a bit of good fortune during the wet section. So, but deserved podium uh, for Carlos Sainz, his first, I think, actually podium for Ferrari. Now, who's next? I think it's it. Yeah, the next two are our friends at. Oh, yes, it's Alpine next, isn't it, for Espen Ocon, who was 14th. Ocon, um, really quite anonymous in this race. Um, I think given how much happened all around him, uh, I can honestly say I didn't really pay much attention to what Ocon was doing. I think he got. He, I think the most important thing he did was come out just ahead of, I think, Ricciardo. I think oh, Ricciardo had a slightly botched stop and then cost him a couple of seconds, which theoretically opened a bit of uh, strategy, which wasn't taken up by anybody at that point. Uh, Fernando put in a fantastic Fernando Alonso performance, stayed out long, had a lot of had managed to have the pace to to, to hold off uh, Verstappen, even 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 in clear air when Verstappen had DRS as, as Verstappen's tyres went off, came in very very late, which was going to be a, p- a policy that was going to work because he actually then went past Verstappen, um, who'd been held up in another DRS train, was moving forward, looked like he might be on for third, possibly fourth. Rain came down, came in a bit a lap too late, but ended up sixth, which is still a good result. But yeah, he felt he was around lucky in the circumstances. Aston Martin, once again, were back-to-back, 11th and 12th. Uh, Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel, and once again, they managed to hit each other, and once again, they didn't really take advantage of what they should have done. Lance Stroll was running fourth early on, should have finished better than... Well, should have been running better than he was. Let's play prior to the rain, he should have been better than he was, which wasn't any better. I think he was 10th and 11th during the, before the rain. Vettel got bogged down the middle, uh, made a couple of overtakes, but to be honest, uh, yeah, another disappointing um, opportunity missed for Aston Martin. Next up is um, Red Bull, and that's because Sergio Perez came in ninth. Now, Perez absolutely lost out of the situation with the rain. He's looking pretty good for possibly, yeah, almost certainly third. He would have got third if it hadn't rained, if buts and maybes, but he came in too late and dropped down to ninth. And in fairness to Sergio, this was quite a convincing performance. He got onto the back of Lewis, had no problem staying with him in that train, and it was only another poor pit stop by um, Red Bull, their second uh, bad pit stop in two races, which meant he didn't come out into free air. It dropped him behind, I think I think it was science at that point, it may have been Ricky Island, dropped him behind the the, the the, the earlier stops, he didn't have the impetus to get past them, and he just got stuck, losing a second and a half, two seconds a lap to Lewis and um, Lando, which he would have, in all honesty, he would have had no problem whatsoever in keeping up with. Now, you know, I don't think he would have overtaken them, but he would have been a much more um, 
advantageous position come the rain later on. So he was kind of let down a little bit by uh, the team and a little bit by the weather. Um, Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen was the big winner of the weekend. He didn't actually win the race because he, he managed to you know, completely make a mockery of his three-place penalty for um, crashing to Lewis in Monza by taking an engine penalty put in the back. And personally, my feeling is if you do that, then the penalty for your misdemeanor should carry over to the next race. You shouldn't be able to skip a penalty by taking another penalty. It seems a bit, 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 um, a bit strange rule. Somebody needs to look at that. Um, so, yeah, so Max uh, started at the back and realistically, not being funny about it, he don't think he drove a, drove a particularly good race. Yes, he made some progress against the slow cars, changed tyres, burnt his tyres out, couldn't go anywhere. Now, prior to it raining, that meant he would have been seventh, which would have, which if, if Lewis had stayed second, would have been a much bigger point swing. But, let's be honest, Max deserves a bit of luck this season. He's had a, he's had a number of instances of bad luck. And it's interesting, I had a conversation with John a while ago when I said it's like yeah, in football it evens itself over a year you get one bad offside or get a good offside to which he pointed out in Sunderland's history that it never evens out and they always get the edit it's just not fair very vehemently say no it's never fair it never evens out Sunderland always suffer so perhaps this is a point where Max is getting a bit of luck back in his place because because it rained and in fairness he did what I think has kind of unnoticed is prior to him coming the lap he came in I think he definitely overtook Ricciardo I think he may have overtaken signs as well in the damp conditions prior to coming I think they came in the same lap as him. Don't don't hold me to that, but it's just a vague memory. So he drove well there. He drove, called, made the right call and then lucked into second place. So at that point, you go, yeah, that's pretty impressive stuff. Well done to uh, to Max. And he really has now just losing effectively two points over two races where they really thought they were going to have problems uh, against uh, Mercedes and having a fresh engine is certainly a, an advantageous last few weeks, but you know, there's still many a twist and turn to go in this championship. Um, next up is McLaren, and uh, seventh place with Lando Norris, and fourth was Danny Ricciardo. Once again, um, normal service was resumed with uh, McLaren after the uh, last Monza race, when of course it was Danny won because uh, Lando was significantly better than Danny all weekend. Uh, in the mixed conditions. Uh, Danny didn't do anything wrong, uh, but I do think that Lando is showing a, a great turn of pace. He got, he got, he lost, the, he got pole, obviously lost the lead in the run down to the first corner, managed to get it back up about 15 laps when, when the tyre dig allowed him to get past. Science therefore opened up a very comfortable lead, uh, came in when Lewis started closing him down. Yeah, Lewis got close, but then suddenly Lando was able to put in the fastest lap and able to keep him at bay, keep him away from DRS. So I think, you know, we can say ifs and buts and maybes, he would have without, if it hadn't rained, he would have won. It did rain. He made Him or the team made a mistake. He didn't win. Um, I think the bigger mistake they made was not the not coming in the same lap as Lewis, but not coming in the following lap. Because at that point, yes, all right, they'd lost the race, but they still would have come second. Um, but they set up another lap when it was effectively worse than the skating ring. He came off and he had a little bit of luck not to completely write it off. But, yeah, bad luck. It, it, it rained. But, you know, it's it's not like it's not going to happen in the future. And uh, these things are what you learn from. So he was in seventh. So Danny Rick, Rick, yeah, good result. Not massively impressive. I think he was driving to the car, possibly just beneath the car, whereas I think Lando was, was driving beyond what the car can do. I think Danny would be disappointed, despite the fact that he is shown as higher than his teammate. Didn't do anything, didn't wrong. He didn't do anything wrong, but we didn't see this kind of resurgence we saw, we thought we were seeing um, last week. So finally we come to Mercedes, and Valtteri Bottas, who was, frankly, despite finishing fifth, absolutely rubbish. Um, Friday Valtteri turned up, and uh, yeah, well done, Valtteri, excellent stuff. 
you know, first and second qualify the fight. We know it's a great track for him. He's really, really quick at um, at Sochi, and it, yeah, in qualifying it was wet and there were some problems. And uh, you know, Lewis uh, made the mistake, which actually cost him time, which is a bit, you know, it must be particularly galling. And he ended up qualifying back. Now he then. Um, took an engine change, which everyone then went all kind of Machiavellian about, but actually, no, it was because he needed an engine change, not because he was trying to block um, the staff. Apparently, the new one they put in at Monza had developed a fault, so there's a little bit of a worry for Mercedes on their engine front, but that new one had a fault, so they decided to change that one anyway. And then he started the race, and he started the race a couple of positions in front of uh, Max Verstappen, and he had one job to do. One job. It's not difficult, Valtteri. All you have to do, you see the bloke. How many there? jobs? Just the one job. Okay. Uh, so, Valtteri, there's a bloke behind you called Max Verstappen. You'll recognise the car. It's the colour of an energy drink. Okay. Right. All you have to do is keep that car behind you for some laps. We're not going to say the whole race, Valtteri. Not the whole race. Just for and some. You, uh, am I on the same strategy, boss? Uh, yes. Some laps. Just keep him back for some laps. You've got the right tyres. Some laps. So what happens? And, and what else have I got to do? Have I got any other jobs, boss? No, just the one job. Keep him back for some laps. Now, how many laps is some laps? Apparently, it's one. Because that's as long as Valtteri could keep Max Verstappen behind. And Max made a pretty easy pass into turn... I want to say seven, but I might be wrong. Um, honestly, it was pathetic. Genuinely, I noticed that it's taken. Well, you can tell it's pathetic. It's taken three days to print the excuses. You've seen that the excuses came out today, saying that he's oh yeah, a bit understeer, a bit understeer. No, he checked out, couldn't care less, and was rubbish. And he carried on being rubbish right at the point where it rained, where suddenly he was massively lucky, and he actually came in a lap earlier, a lap before everyone. Hence, reason he went. I think, I think he was running fourteenth, and he came up to fifth. So, you know, in the end result is not what happened. So finally, Lewis Hamilton. Now, I'll submit. Um, when we were coming to this race, I thought this is going to be interesting, really, because what I thought was going to happen is with Verstappen at the back, it would be a lovely, horribly, normal, sochi, dry day. Valtteri would be on pole. Lewis would be on second. They'd trundle off, and Valtteri would get the Lewis is much faster than you order, and Lewis would win his 100th Grand Prix in a terrible race where he's handed the win by his teammate. But no, he got the win on a weekend where he made several mistakes and did several great things. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, he's got the 100th win. It's not worked out brilliantly for him because because Max was second. But he, you know, if he, he had a really bad Saturday with the... Leads to the championship. Well, yeah, but it's, it's only two points, isn't it? Uh, Leads to the championship. But what I thought, we, what, what it was, was a victory for patience. Because he got himself stuck in the, in the, true, in the, well, the Russell train and the DRS train. And... At that point, he, he, he interestingly, we didn't hear the message about, oh, it's impossible to overtake, it's not fair, which we normally get. So he was sitting there waiting for them all to come in. Quite the reverse, because at the end, when they were telling him to come in, he said, I'm with them now, <laughs> I'm with them, I can get them, I can get them. Well, I'm talking about a bit earlier in the race. But yeah, so he basically he basically stayed there in the in the DRS uh, train in case something happened, but yeah, looking after his car, looking after his tyres. So when they all peeled in, he was able to put in laps as fast, or in fact, faster than the people on new tyres. So he was able to break the, uh, to, to eliminate the undercut, drive through, and that's what then put him back into the into the correct position. So, 
in fairness to him, he then drove all the way up to Landau. He wouldn't have got past him, but he, he would have had a much bigger pay, points gain, second to 11. And then the rain came, and Mercedes said, you will come in. You will come in. And eventually, agreed with him, came in, and he won his 100th Grand Prix, which there hasn't been enough fanfare about. I know a lot of people are very bored with Lewis winning, but frankly, winning 100 Grand Prix is, is absolutely an amazing achievement, no matter how you, would, you achieve it. So It's not as much, for me, it's not about how many Grand Prix, because the race farm more Grand Prix nowadays than they used to, it's his win percentage. Yeah, which is and 36%. 36, 37%, something yeah. like that. That's extraordinary. Yeah. That is extraordinary. So, yeah, it's... Yeah, and I, I, I thought it was really impressive, and it's an interesting day, and in many ways Lewis won, in many ways Mercedes won, because with the wet weather, um, they managed to actually get open up the lead in the constructors now to 30-something points, 33 points. Uh, but, yeah, walking away, the happiest person walking away from that event is Max Verstappen. Just before um, we wake Tim up again and, talk about, the, and talk about the, the junior formula, um, Carlos Sainz, I, I heard you talking about him there. Carlos Sainz outperformed his last two teammates. Why is he not getting more respect and more talk for that? Well, I just in terms of scoring rubbish. points, what? Charles L- Leclerc. L- so Lando Norris. Lando Norris and Charles Leclerc. And he was equal with Lando Norris in the second season. Despite in, having three seasons more experience, but in terms of his points, if you look at uh, at how he's, how yeah, he's I mean, I, I, think, I, think Carl, I think Carlos is a is a very very solid driver. I think he doesn't have those highest highs, and that's sometimes what we're now looking for. It I just, think just doesn't seem to have anybody cheerleading for him. Well, I think we're in a, I think we're actually in a period where we are in a period of exceptional talent. You know how we get periods of dearths of talent and periods of exceptional talent. I think we're in a period yeah. of exceptional yes. talent now. Yes, so. You think about how much people thought... Remember how much... Coulthard won 13 races, and he was a just-above-average racing driver. Science is every bit as good as Coulthard, but no one's talking about him because you've got Norris, Sainz... Sorry, you've got Norris, Leclerc, um, Russell. You know, you've got, um, you know, obviously, Gasly. Verstappen and... and, and Gasly, Verstappen and, and Hamilton, who are all really, really very, very good. And therefore, he's not getting the conversation he should do. He can win that conversation if he can just get the highs that Leclerc picks up. Let's talk about the next generation uh, here. Uh, Let's not. We'll move on to that later. Oh, OK. Because now we need to tell you what's coming up tomorrow night at 8 in the Simcast. And a look back at the first virtual Le Mans series race, plus the more classic Grand Prix cars coming to Automobilista 2, and much, much more. It's Jordan and Matt this week for the Simcast, which is tomorrow night at 8 here on RS1. And it's not Excellent. the only virtual action this week, is no. it, John? Is it not? No, no because on Saturday on RS3, <laughs> Le Mans. it's the VCO Petit Le Mans. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, Nick and I will be doing um, it. Most of it. I'm doing it. Oh, you're actually doing it. I'm doing it. Yes, the team is doing it. Obviously, not in the split we're covering, of course. <laughs> many, many splits down. No, it should be exciting. I mean, last last time it was a win for, amongst others, Max Verstappen. So um, I'm not, he is free this weekend, so he may well be taking part in one of the team Redland cars. Mm. Um, but it's a great race, and it it's, it raced really well last yeah, year. Yeah, and they're going to have a lot of dark this year because they've moved it to the official starting date of 13th of November. Oh. After the clocks go back, the race start time is 12.30, so it's going to be about four and a half to five hours of light and then five and a half hours of dark. 
and that certainly Excellent. settles. Though the, the, they have redesigned, uh, iRacing have redesigned Road America, Road Atlanta, sorry, and there is now more. It now has the accurate amount of ambient lighting that is there now, rather than it being totally pitch. And apparently, I haven't seen this yet. They've also got the new buildings up there, which are the new media centre. Ah, so the new Michelin Tower at Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta. Right, excellent. Very good. Very good indeed. Uh, what time does that start, Nick? Uh, the, we will start at, I think, about one forty for the race. UK start, time. UK time, one forty. yeah. I think the actual VCO starts at 1 o'clock. And we're streaming that as well, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So that's Nick and I on Saturday. Yes. Uh, and then we'll jump in and help the guys out on the full metal racing from Hungaro Ring. Just constantly moving around the Come world at the scales. Absolutely. Atlanta um, to Budapest. And, and, and yeah. actually, uh, Tim, if, if I may, we're in Formula One now. Um, um, no, we've moved away from Formula One. We're moving. All right. Well, before we, we move any further away from Formula One, we were talking about, uh, we should have done this earlier on, actually, when we were talking about the, the, the Copa Florio, um, because sad news this week that uh, Nino Vaccarella uh, lost his uh, life. Um, he was a Targa Florio specialist. Um, Vic Elford described him as someone who knew the roads on at Sicily like the back of his hand, and he, uh, the trophy in fact that um, Kraventnik uh, would have been racing for this weekend had there been uh, at Sicily, um, bears bears his name. Um, he was born in Sicily, an extraordinary driving career in the age of drivers who worked across various different disciplines. His Formula One career was eclectic. He raced for Di Tommaso uh, with an Alfa Romeo straight four um, in 1961. He moved over to Lotus Porsche, uh, at Lotus and Porsche, and then Lotus again with the 1821 a Porsche 718, and then a climax-powered Lotus 24 in the three races in which he competed in 1962, and he was a Ferrari Formula One driver in the 158 V8 uh, in 1965. Uh, he also raced some no non-championship uh, races as well for um, both Dietermos, Dietermos or Cooper. Lotus and Porsche in 61 and 62, but it was in sports cars really that he made his reputation both at the uh, Le Mans 24 hours where he took an overall victory for uh, Ferrari in a 275p with Jean Guichet uh, in 1964, won his class for the NART North American racing team with Pedro Rodriguez in a 365 Spider. Uh, and came uh, third in his class in a mattress Simca as late as 1969. And by the way, he was still competing in 1972 in an Alfa Romeo T33 TT3, where he finished fourth overall and in class. And in Sebring, of course, where uh, he won overall for Ferrari in 1970 in the classic race with Ignacio Guenti, where Mario Andretti, whose Ferrari 512S had conked out and it looked that was the year that it looked like this um this actor was going to win the race which was uh, of course steve mcqueen and peter revson and uh mario andretti got in in the last 45 minutes and the the three of them won that race uh, he also finished first in class back in 
67 in a Ford GT40. But the thought of him peddling an Alfa Romeo prototype uh, T33-3 around the public roads of Sicily is just extraordinary uh, to me. He went back to, uh, to teaching, of course, and... Ah oh, man, he was—he had such passion for the the sport, and uh, he will be much missed. Nino Vaccarella, who died uh, last week, aged 88, in his beloved Sicily. You mentioned Steve McQueen there. Well, I s- stumbled across a documentary about the making of the Getaway earlier, but I'd missed the start, so I didn't watch the rest of it. And hopefully, it'll be repeated at some great point. Great movie. Mm. Did, did that get away from you then? Uh, it did. I'll I'll find it again. Uh, <laughs> calendar news now. Oh, there's a surprise. Because today NASCAR's announced the schedules for next year for both the NASCAR Xfinity Series and the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. And for the first time since 2000, NASCAR will return to the twists and turns of... Twists and turns. Sonoma? No, it's been to Sonoma much more recently than 2000. Road America. No. No, they've been there. Or at least the um, support series was. Uh, twist and turns of a twisty, turny thing. It's a 1.964 mile so. road course in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, th- so that must be Portland. It's Portland International Raceway. Wow. Moreover, the Camping World Truck Series will renew its beating and banging brand of racing when it returns to the 0.686 mile. Oval at yes, Bristol, seven tenths of a mile. Indianapolis Raceway grounds park. Lucas Oil Raceway, Indianapolis. I've Is it going to be amazing. on dirt or on pavement, though? Uh, it doesn't say, but it's I've the been same. To both the local ovals, it's the indeed. same weekend that uh, Xfinity and Cup Series at proper Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Mm. So, a full weekend of uh, racing in the city of Indianapolis. Let's move on to bikes now. Yep. I'm going to scroll back up to the top of my script. And the Circuit of the Americas announced today that... Yes, it was today. In advance of the MotoGP Grand Prix of the Americas, which happens this weekend, uh, the world-class destination is debuting its first two non-fungible tokens. Oh, now, Circuit of gosh. the Americas is one of the first racing venues globally to release digital collectibles. The NFTs were created in partnership with the New York-based agency Art Space Motion and are now available for auction at the NFT marketplace OpenSea.io. Uh, whenever I hear about NFTs, I always think of the, uh, the well-known phrase in English, a fool and his money are easily parted. Now, the first one is called Lights Out Start to Finish Line's 360-degree panorama view at Circuit of the Americas. It's a single I couldn't press, get one of those myself. Limited edition. 360 degree panorama view of the start to finish line at Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas. The special edition includes one time VIP passes for two individuals at the 2021 or 2022 MotoGP Grand Prix of the Americas. And right, the so reserve price is set at $25,000. Oh, ridiculous. Although the auction, of course, is being uh, carried out in Ethereum, so that is uh, currently made up money for made up ether. I know made up, all money is made up, but this is particularly made up money from made up concepts. The second one is called Starstruck Iconic Cota Tower 360 Panorama View. 
Uh, and again, it's a single press limited edition panoramic view of the iconic coated tower at the Circus of the Americas. Single pressed, did you say? Single press. There's only one of them. Is is the picture at a slight angle so the lift can no longer go up it? Yeah, that's right. It's very realistic. Do, yeah, do, do your pictures subside over time? <laughs> uh, this okay. also includes two tickets. The tickets, Formula One yeah, United States yes. Grand Prix of 2022. And again, has a reserve price of 25 thousand US dollars. We've started with Quarter. Let's stay with Quarter at the moment uh, and uh, let's let's talk about what's happening at Quarter with this weekend because Maverick Vinales won't be racing there and he's not going to be at, on the grid this weekend because his cousin uh, Dean Berta Vinales um, uh, lost his life last weekend in a World Supersport 300 uh, race uh, racing actually for Vinales' dad. Um, another tragedy uh, in one of the sport yeah, uh, events. Well, I'm, and and Moto th- uh, Super Sport 300 is to uh, World Superbikes what Moto 3 yes. is to, to Moto GP. Very similar. Medium-sized bikes, not much power, 42 lots of young of kids. them on the grid. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many times... Uh, there's no point. Just, just All you have to do is just, just listen back to what you said before. This is, this is just... Getting worse and worse and worse, and they need to sort it out because this pack racing is just dangerous. And I feel so sorry for the young lad Vinales. You know, fifteen, his whole life ahead of him, doing what he loves. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. But he shouldn't be put in that position of danger. He is a child, and there are adults who are responsible for that sport who should not be putting children in danger. That's what I feel. So, anyway, sorry about that. Um, he, well, uh, he was seen as a, a leading light uh, in 300 uh, and the Saturday events uh, last weekend were cancelled. Uh, Vinales Racing uh, devastated, they said, uh, in a, a statement. And, uh, I mean, everybody in that paddock, uh, the fact that they came back on Sunday was a testament to them. But I heard a few people say, and I completely agreed with it, that they were racing in honour of Dean Berta Vinales um, and you know I kind of understand understand that because every time you put a helmet and your leathers on you know that it possibly uh, can uh, it can happen um, I don't disagree with what you're saying I think 42 bikes on that grid was too many and the, and the style of bikes and the style of riding is not conducive it has to, to be safety. looked at it has to be looked at. Uh, the entire Aprilia Racing family supports the decision of Maverick Vinales not to race this weekend. Stands with Maverick and his loved ones. There'll be other times and other rounds to resume the promising journey that we've begun together. A journey that must be entirely respectful of the people involved and their feelings. Uh, fair play to uh, Aprilia uh, and that. Uh, so that is uh, the uh, quarter uh, Mortal GP news uh, this weekend. Uh, and of course, we pass our condolences on to the whole Vinales family and everybody in the pit lane across Mortal GP and World Superbikes. So we'll uh, just wrap up the show then with the uh, reminders of what is coming at the weekend, uh, where we have uh, a uh, some full metal racing from the Hungaro ring. Uh, and we have our VCO uh, Petit Le Mans race as well. Nick and I will be involved 
in both, both of those. Both of those. And it's Snowy and Johnny on Saturday for qualifying and the first two hours of the Hungara Ring Hankook uh, 20, uh, sorry, uh, 24H series, the 12 hours of Hungara Wing, and then 10 hours on Sunday. Thanks to Tim Gray uh, up in London, our responsible adult was Shea Adam. That's all we've got time for. Jo- uh, Shea Adam, I've done that again. Shea Adam, That's twice we've done now. Shea Adam back next week. <laughs> our responsible adult, Eve <laughs> Hewitt. Uh, and we'll, we'll be back now. at the same time next week. Enjoy your week of motorsport and join us at the weekend. Uh, that was Midweek Motorsport. There's no time to explain. The Llama is off to some racing this weekend. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.